0: Hello, Sobertown listeners. My name is Michael, MMC13 on the I Am Sober app, and it is my pleasure to be coming to you today on behalf of Sobertown and Sobertownpodcast.com, your one-stop shop for sobriety. It is so much more than podcasts. I encourage you to check out all the resources available to you there. Now, please join me as we hop on the sober train and ride. My guest today is Kieran Cook, who's coming to us from across the pond today in Nottinghamshire, England. He is an active Sober Town member and inspirational sober warrior, and he's agreed to share his recovery story in hopes of inspiring and helping others who wish to discover the path to sobriety. Kieran, thank you for your time. Welcome to the show.
1: It's a pleasure. Thank you.
0: Glad to have you. So let's start with a little bit of your backstory. Let's start with growing up and what youth looked like, what family looked like pre, pre-addiction.
1: Yeah, so growing up was normal. Like, uh, it was, there was no, no massive trauma for me as growing up. I had got a loving family. I had a loving family. My mom, my dad, two sisters, two older sisters. And we was just, yeah, just a happy family. So there's nothing that's kind of made me into wanting to drink all the time and to, to hide something. And like a lot of people struggle with addiction or from, from trauma that's happened in the past. And I was lucky. I'm a lucky one, really, because I had a, a good upbringing and, and a family, a loving family, and we never went without anything. My mum and dad both drank, but my dad drank more than my mum, but nothing to be worried about. It was just he worked. He worked down the pit, down the mines, and I just remember he used to come home from work and go go for a pint with his with his mates. And um, the only thing that I, I I can remember that it did cause a lot of arguments between my mum and dad because I, I just remember one one particular time that. He wanted to go for a drink, and I can remember my mum shouting at him and throwing her money at him, basically. So my dad just picked it <laughs> up and went to the pub. So, yeah, but there's nothing massively that's happened to me. I can just remember the first the first time that I tried alcohol, I was very young. Around Christmas time, I always remember my mum, my dad used to buy my sisters was a little bit older than me, probably a couple of years older than me. So when I was like 11, they was 14, 15. And they used to they used to get like a bottle of books fizzed. I don't know if you know books fizz is like a fruit sparkling wine, cheap wine basically. Yeah, so we used to get that for my sisters for Christmas so we could have a glass at the dinner table. And I remember I was must have been only about 12, 13, and can remember taking a taking a drink of it. And it was it wasn't a feeling of like, oh, this is disgusting. I can remember it being a feeling of like, wow, like something it's like, it's like something triggered straight away and, and I liked it. I liked the feeling. I liked the feeling of the bubbles going down and and it just made me feel different. And it was exciting for me. As a child, when you, you start feeling like an adult, like you start to feel feel like you, you're getting older and you, you can do what the adults are doing. So I was brought up around drinking, but it, it wasn't, like I say, it wasn't something that happened all day, every day. There was no violence. There was no, there was nothing like that. It was, it was just normal upbringing. So yeah, it's the next time, after that time, the next time that I remember drinking was, I I was about 14 at this time, 13 probably, I think I was 13, because I was going to the Sea Cadets. Now, my my father used to be in the Merchant Navy, so before I was born, he was in the Merchant Navy. When When my sister was born, she didn't know who he was, so because he, he, he used to be at sea for like six months at a time and then used to come back for about two weeks three weeks and then go back to sea again so he left but he always used to tell me the stories when i was growing up about the merchant navy and, and 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 the places he was going and he inspired me to do to do the same thing so that's what i wanted to do following his footsteps so i not far from me there was the sea cadets where we used to go it was basically a unit a big unit. And it, it, Been made out like a ship, and you'd go on. You'd go in there. You'd have a uniform like the Royal Navy uniforms and stuff. You go boating and you do all these activities, and it gave you a bit of discipline as well. And I enjoyed it. We used to have unit weekends, and basically we used to have sleepovers at the weekends. Some weekends, or we used to go to other units, other sea cadets. So this one particular time, we stopped at the Mansfield unit, and there was a little. There was a guy called Carter. He's a little bit older than me. And he worked in an off-license. So I was like 13. He must have been 15. And he managed to get hold of a bottle of whiskey, which he'd obviously pinched from the off-license. So when it got to like the night time, and like light, lights out and was all in our sleeping bags and stuff, he broke out this bottle of whiskey. So I had this little... I, had, I can remember the cup still to this day, a little bit blue tea cup and so he said oh do you want some me being gullible said yeah go on then so he filled up my cup neat whiskey uh, teacher's whiskey it was and I started to drink it now whiskey is disgusting neat whiskey and I don't know how anyone can drink it I, but I can't remember I can remember the first taste of it was just absolutely disgusting. It was like burning my throat, burning my chest. And what I should have done was gone. No, I don't want that anymore. That's disgusting. But once again, it gave me this instant, this this, this, this feeling of like euphoria. It was like, it totally changed me and and, and whiskey is obviously strong as well. So it was like, and I was only 13. And so only a little tipsy and like, wow, this is good. Yeah, give me some more. So all I had was this cup, this mug, but it was bottomless mug because Carter kept filling it up. So I'm trying to drink all this and then, without me knowing, it's, he's tipping more in and tipping more in, so it's never ending. So I can't remember anything after that but. What, what? This is what was I was told that. So about an hour or so later, the one of the officers came in to look around uh, to make sure it was all all right. Someone had that. Someone had told him that we'd been drinking. Someone had been drinking. So he made us all get up and stand out in the corridor in the line as he as he inspected us one by one. And he walked down the line, and I just like remember just thinking like right, I need to. I need sober because at this point I was pretty, pretty drunk. But so we walked down each one of us checking and he got to me and I just stood there sober as a judge and he walked straight past me, went to all the others, couldn't find any of us that had been drinking. So told us all basically to go back to our beds. So I was like, wow, got away with that. So I went back, we went back to sleep next thing I remember waking up in the hospital about four o'clock in the morning with my parents there. And I remember the first thing I said when I opened my eyes was sorry, but I didn't even know what I was sorry for because I couldn't even remember what had happened. Um, basically, what had happened is during the night, I was on my back <clears throat> and I was throwing up and choking on, on, on my own vomit. And one of the officers happened to walk around at the time and he found me, luckily, he found me. Choking. Otherwise, if he'd not gone and looked around and just gone got, got his head down, I probably would. not I would have been dead. So I was very lucky. That I was very lucky. It was absolutely horrendous the way that I felt afterwards. For two weeks, I couldn't walk. I just remember being at home on on the sofa, and my stomach, my insides was just ripped to pieces. Like, and I was yellow. I couldn't eat. I couldn't drink. I couldn't keep water down or anything for weeks. And it was just the worst, worst feeling that I've ever felt in my life.
0: That's like the <laughs> worst first drinking story I think I've ever heard. My God, Kieran. Mm. Yeah. It was, it nearly, it did. It nearly killed me. It, my
1: insides was not good. And it took a long time for me to build myself back up to get, get the energy and be able to eat properly and, And I wasn't allowed in the secrets anymore. (laughs) Me and Carter both wasn't allowed in there anymore. So, yeah, you'd have thought at that point was the point where I'd be like, right, I'm never drinking again after this. But it kind of just got worse, really. I've never drank, I've never drank whiskey since. I've never drank whiskey. I can't stand the smell of whiskey, even the. The, sanitizer, the hand sanitizer that smells alcohol, I can smell a lot of it. I can smell whiskey in it, and it just makes me eat. Whiskey is a no-no, but everything else, yeah, I'll give it a go. So at that point, yeah, I was about 13 when I got into my teens. So when I when I got in, into my teens, started doing the usual drinking again with my friends. Weekends, you stand outside the shops and get people to buy us alcohol and go and find a park somewhere and just drink the cheap cider. And, and yeah, it was, and that, but I always, I, I always remember even then, even then I wasn't like everybody else when they was drinking. I was drinking to get, to get pissed and fast. And I used to throw it down my neck and, and until I was sick or passed out and it was just it just got worse and worse through my teens but I didn't think I had I don't think then you realize what it's doing to you you just think you're having a fun time and you you don't even know that you've got a problem at that, that age because you don't really know what alcohol's doing to you and you don't know how you don't know the the, the consequences of it and and I think that's another thing as well that I don't think the the kids nowadays are told enough about alcohol in schools and stuff. I mean, I know they do a lot of drugs things as well, but I can't ever remember being told about alcohol at school. So, I think kids should be more aware of it. So, yeah, so yeah, that kind of went on all through my well, through through school. Really, when drinking at friends' houses, I used to stay over at weekends because I wouldn't go home because I'd be throwing up or. I just keep out of the way of my parents so they won't know what I was doing. And I, I used to—I was quite—I was friends with one, a friend of mine. His dad used to make home brew, and he used to keep it in two-liter bottles of Mountain Dew bottles. Then we used to go and rob that and take that in the park. Most of the time, it wasn't even ready; it was disgusting. <laughs> I used to drink it anyway. So yeah, the the next the next part of of my drinking was really when i joined the merchant navy i left school i was 17 and i worked for a a ship company called piano Nedloid. and oh I, at this point as well i was i was very shy very very shy and i was literally scared of anything and speaking to anyone I was really quiet my confidence was was I didn't have any confidence at all and drinking for me gave me that confidence that's why I was doing it
0: I I have a very similar story I was very socially awkward in my teenage years and when I started drinking and started hanging around people who drank is when I I started to feel comfortable and started to feel accepted. And I think that was a huge part of why I started drinking so young. I think early on, it felt like positive reinforcement. It felt like it was giving me the thing I was seeking, which was acceptance, which was to be fun, which was to be liked. And I think that, I, I think that that's a great point that you bring up because I think it's important for younger generations to understand that this is how drinking problems can start is that in the beginning it can feel like it's a good thing it can feel like it's serving you
1: yeah absolutely yeah I mean it's like before before I'd go out before going out I'd drink I'd be absolutely terrified on a night out so I'd just drink a few I'd drink a couple of cans of beer just to get me in the mood to go out, and it's like, it's, it's absolutely crazy when you think about it, but <laughs> that's how little confidence I had, and, and I just knew a certain level. I knew how many beers it'd take to get me on a certain level where I could then go out and be a di- this different person and not the socially awkward person, which, like what you just said, because that is definitely me. I am definitely socially awkward. Um, I'm a little bit better now, but I'm just trying to you're basically trying to get to know yourself again because you've been using it. I've been using it for so long. So when I went when I was joining the merchant navy and joining a ship at 17, that was very scary for me. And I the first ship I ever joined, like I can remember, everyone was so old. That's <laughs> all like I was just this this kid. Just left school and I'm joining this ship of all these men. Like, and I'm just like, what am I doing here? What have I done? Um, first time I went, first time I went on board, I got to my cabin. I can remember a New Zealand bloke knocking on my door, and he says, "Oh, he says you're coming up to the bar," and I was like, "I'm only 17," and he was like, "Yeah, that's that doesn't matter on here. I'll see you up at the bar." So straight away again. It's, it's a drinking community. It's, it's all that they did on board ships. And it's the way of socialising. So I went up to the bar. I had a couple of beers with them. It was cheap. The beers were cheap. It was there as much as you wanted. And straight away, I took I, I took advantage of it. Cause we didn't matter if it was working after I'd settled in, we used to go, we used to go and watch drunk. We used to be in the bar till five minutes before we went on watch and just go straight up to the bridge on watch. And, and then it was just, just constant and it was all right. It was accepted. No one said anything. No one, it was, it was just what you did. And that was at sea. Um, and the first thing we used to do when we got in port as well was go to the pubs, go to the bars. I mean, I was, the first places that I went was like Australia and New Zealand and a 17 year old for a 17 year old to be in Australia and New Zealand. He's like, wow, you know, I should have been around looking at the sites, but I was following all these old sailors around to the best bars. And that's, you know, I didn't know where I was going. So I just followed them. And that's what, that's what I did. And, It was just just constant, even when, I think it was at that point, that point on the first time I got home after doing a six-week voyage is when it really started, because I I had money. I had about six weeks off. All my other friends was working. I was doing like six weeks on or two months on, six weeks off. So I had six weeks off to do whatever I wanted and that consisted of drinking crates of beer every day. I still lived with my parents at that point and I think every day I I would have a, I would have a case 24 cans of beer a day and it was just non-stop. I can remember my mum being worried saying that I'm drinking too much. Not so much my dad, I don't think my dad was that. He just... Was like he's on leave, just let him do what he wants. So yeah, that was that was that was when he really started to get a hold of me.
0: Were um, you suffering any sort of physical addiction signs at this point? Were you feeling like you had to drink? What was that like at that phase for you?
1: I think looking back at it, definitely not at the time. I wouldn't have thought it, but definitely because. I was wasn't waiting till 7 8 o'clock at night to drink I was drinking from probably the minute that I got up because I felt so felt so rough from the night before or the day before that I just carry on the next day and I I was just I had a I, had, I remember I had a, a fridge in my room as well I had a mini fridge in my, fr- in my room full of beer so there was nobody to say it's only, it's only nine o'clock in the ten o'clock in the morning. You shouldn't be drinking already. I could just get up, drink it. No one would even know. So yeah, definitely had, definitely had some addiction there already. And but I didn't think it at the time, and it just went on and went on for years, all through, all through the time that I worked with Ned Lloyd. Uh, I worked there for about a year and a half. I actually got made redundant, and I was eighteen at this point. I got made redundant after like three trips. Uh, after three trips with Ned Lloyd, I got made redundant and was given a uh, redundancy of ten thousand pound, which I just pissed up all basically. And I didn't work. I didn't work for about four months. I just sat at home, drinking, taking my mates out. My mates obviously thought I was a millionaire. I just spent all my money on beer. And, yeah, it's just... It just went on and on and on and on and on. Wasted a hell of a lot of money on alcohol. And I'd probably be living a lot more comfortably now if I'd saved it all. But, hey, you just don't know what you're doing to yourself, do you? So... Yeah, then, that at that point, it was definitely uh, had a grip on me. And once again, as well, it was giving me the confidence that I'd escaped from the person that I was to this new person that I'd like to be, the more confident. It was like I had superpowers, and I didn't give a shit about anybody. Anyone could say anything to me, I wouldn't care. Sober, I was very timid. And I used to get embarrassed very easily as well. I used to be terrified of going red because my face used to go bright red. If anyone's, if I walked into a room, I'd already be red without anyone saying anything to me. But as soon as someone, if anyone said anything to me jokingly or which embarrassed me, it would be horrible. The feeling was just like I knew I was going red. So then I'd be thinking, oh, fucking, I'm going red. Everyone's looking at me now. And then I go even redder. Then I wouldn't know what to do. And I'd just be like, the anxiety would start. It was just horrible, and I used to dread then going into situations or into social situations without alcohol because if I had alcohol in my system before I went into these situations, and it, yeah, I was total, It was a total different feeling. I'd just laugh it off and have a joke and say something back. It was just, and that's that's the the whole. That's where my addiction came from, the lack of confidence, basically, or escaping reality, escaping who I am. Instead of just getting to know and working on myself sober, I found very quickly that alcohol could change me instantly. That's what I liked.
0: That's a major reality I think a lot of us face in sobriety is that we, th- those formative years, the teens and the twenties, a lot of us drank them away. And so when we started to get sober later in life, we had to figure out who the fuck we are. Like we have yeah. no idea. I didn't know who I was without alcohol. I didn't know my likes, my dislikes. I didn't know if I was an introvert or an extrovert. I I just, I I thought I was an extroverted person because I used to love going to parties and going to bars. Well, so it turns out the only reason I loved that stuff was because it made me feel better about my drinking because I drank like a fish. And so I felt better when I was hanging around other people who drink like fishes. So there's there's a whole element of getting to know yourself that we just kind of drank through. And so, yeah, it's it becomes scary to, you, you feel like a teenager all over again when you start to get sober. When did you discover that it, it was unmanageable, that it was time to kind of make a, a change in your life.
1: So go say, fast forward, uh, quite a few years when I was in my twenties, I was working for, I was still at sea and I was working for a, a, a company called Royal fleet auxiliary. So it was part of the Royal Navy and we used to do four months on, on board a ship, we had crew bars and that was the same again drinking culture, you didn't drink, you wasn't trusted, you didn't fit in, so you'd spend a lot of time in the bars socialising, getting to know people. Then I met my ex-partner in a club, in a nightclub, that relationship was based all around alcohol and this is when I started realising that I was dependent because... We was together ten years altogether. We've got a son together. He was thirteen now, but when he was born, nothing changed. That's when I realized there's a problem. Nothing changed. Like, if anything, it got worse. I was drinking more and also my partner was drinking. And it was disgusting. And thinking back to it, I am ashamed. Every time I look at my son now, I'm ashamed. Like we would literally be drunk. Looking after a baby, and not just night drinking, all day drinking, and anything could happen to him. And it's like it was just me and me and her together was just an absolute tram smash because we just filled each other. I mean, I remember things like just he was he was a baby, and we was just both that drunk. We was asleep for hours. And we woke up and he was just crying and needed changing. And, but it's like anything could have happened to him at that point. We, like, we was both unconscious. But, but it just kept going on like nothing. We didn't, we didn't stop. It was not one of us was like, right, this is a bit wrong this. We shouldn't be doing this. You know what I mean? When he's a newborn baby. But no, that went on and on and on. And that relationship was just... It was just horrible, horrendous, really. It lasted about 10 years, but it started getting... It wasn't a very good relationship from probably day one, but towards the middle of the relationship, after about five or six years, it was It was just... I don't get what it was, really. I don't know why we was together. We just... Maybe it was one of them situations that was... Don't really want to be try and get someone else or we knew we wouldn't get anyone else because we both had problems we both drank too much and then a couple of years later I was still at sea and something wasn't right when I was at sea I wouldn't have any contact with her but then we you just get home everything used to be fine as soon as I'd go back to sea I wouldn't be able to get in touch with her so I got a phone call anyway at, some, at one point that says that basically social services had been got involved and they took basically took my child away because she'd been having parties and people around other men around taking drugs so i had to, i went home and my sister had had my son so i stayed off for a few months looking after my son while social services because social services was looking into my partner because we didn't live together either. I had my own place and she had her own place. So yeah, that was that was the end of the relationship, basically. But that didn't stop. That didn't stop me then. The real point, the real point that I found that I was in trouble with it, as I was on leave and I was drinking for two months every day nonstop. And then I joined a ship that was dry, didn't have any alcohol on. And this also, before this happened, I was having a lot of panic attacks. I was having a lot of sweats, hot sweats at night, itching. Basically, it was like needles in my skin, just the chemicals pouring out of me, sweating out of me. And I kept having these panic attacks and I just couldn't stop the drinking because I knew that cured me. I think I tried to stop for like, Three or four days, and it was that bad. I was hearing voices, just, I just people talking, and I just I was on my own. And and at this point as well, I was very isolated. I'd isolated myself. It wasn't about going out drinking anymore. It was about drinking on my own, with nobody there, just me. So I joined the ship. Our relationship was in a bad way. It was it was it was more or less over. So I'd been drinking that hard to kind of, well, to mask it, to, to forget about it. It made me feel better. Made me feel like I didn't care. So I joined the ship. A day later, I got pains in my chest. And I remember stood out on deck and I had these pains in my chest. And I was just like, whoa, well, that's not right. Started feeling dizzy. Felt sick. Really irritated. Didn't know what. We'd just left as well. We just The ship had just sailed. I think it was in Scotland. And I kept getting these, like, surges through my body. All I could feel it from from the bottom of my legs, and it had just come all the way up to my stomach, into my chest. And then I'd have to try and breathe it out, and then I'd leave it. I'd, like, try and breathe it, breathe, just breathe through it, and then they'd pass eventually. I, lay, I remember laying on my bed. And I just thought, this is it. I'm going to have an heart attack or something like that. And that's and I'm, I'm dead and it's, that's it. It's my own fault. I ended up going into hospital. I had to run. I basically went up to the bridge to see the, the captain, the skipper. And I just said, look, I don't feel right. right. And I was just grey, clammy. I didn't tell them what I'd been doing. I didn't tell them it was down to alcohol. Even when I went to the hospital, I didn't tell them it was down to alcohol. So they couldn't help me. They put me on loads of tests and everything, checked everything, and they couldn't find they couldn't find anything really. It was just, but I knew it was withdrawals from alcohol. So I rejoined the ship and I went through this uh, detox on my own for the next three weeks, four weeks. It was absolutely horrendous. I just couldn't do anything i was just kept going dizzy all the time and no but no one knew no one knew what i was doing and no one knew why what had happened or why i was feeling like this or the kind of problems that i have with alcohol no one knew because i just didn't have thought it that's when i said i'm never drinking again after about two or three months of keeping fit and feeling good and i started drinking again and that was a, that cycle that was the cycle of my life, basically, to where I am, to where I, up to where I am today. The rest of them years was a case of drinking till I was ill, drinking till I was scared that I was done damage and I was going to die. So I'd stop. That's the only thing that stopped me. My, my new partner, I've been with my new partner now for 10 years, uh, nine years, 10 years. Yeah, we've got a little girl together who's six. She has probably saved my life. We got together more or less straight after I split up with my ex partner, and Joe, my partner now. She, she doesn't drink. She doesn't. She's, she's a great mom. She's been through a lot of trauma in her life as well. Her dad was. They, they had to escape. Her dad, her mum and dad had to escape. Escape to where I live now, Mansfield. They're from London originally. Uh, but she had a terrible upbringing. Really violent. And that's kind of changed. She could have gone either way growing up. And she decided she didn't want her life or her kids to go through what she went through. So she took the right path and, and chose to live her life that way. She does now and again go out, but she knew straight away more or less that I had a problem with alcohol when we got together. But I used to get so angry with her because she—I used to think she was tr- she was trying to just control me and change me. But she clearly just saw that this is not normal. Like I just thought, like, well, she's—it's not. And 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 the one thing as well that's that's important is when you've got an addiction with alcohol and someone's trying to tell you you can't do it, that makes it fucking worse. And she didn't get that. It took her a long time to understand that she can't tell me not to drink. She can't tell me that I need to stop because it's got to be you that wants to do it. And it just used to make me, me worse. I used to go into just these drinking kin, just rages of drinking because she told me I couldn't or she didn't want me to. Um, we
0: we refer and, to it as drinking at someone. Right. You get so upset that somebody has the gall to tell you about your problem that you're perfectly well aware of. But how dare you fucking call it out for me? That's for me to do for myself. And I'm going to get drunk at you just to prove a point. Right. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. I've I've done a lot of that. And it's 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 a frightening, frightening piece of the the puzzle that a lot of us have in common, I think.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Even when we had my little girl, I was still drinking, not nowhere, nowhere as, as much as I was before. I still, I still didn't have control over it. I'll never have control over it. Because once I started to drink, there's no stopping it. She couldn't understand why I can't just go out and have a couple of drinks and enjoy a night. Every night we went out, I was absolutely f- fucking slaughtered. I can't even remember the nights that we used to go out. And early on in a relationship, when you have like nights away and stuff like that, I'd be asleep by eight o'clock, nine o'clock, flat out in an hotel, just, and she'd be there all night on her own, just looking at me, snoring and slobbering all night. It's like, I still, I still don't know why she's still, why she's, how she stayed with me that long. I honestly don't, because if it was me, I'd have been like, I'm getting out of here right now. (laughs) But she stuck by me and slowly I started realizing myself that this needs to stop. There's been a few situations in our relationship where I chose it over everything. She stood she stood in front of me one night and said to me, with my little girl, if you drink tonight. I am leaving with Aubrey, my little girl. And I chose the drink and she left, she went to her mum's. And I just couldn't not do it. It was, no matter how much I loved Aubrey and Joe, it was like I was possessed. It's like something's just took over me, my entire body and mind. And it didn't, I didn't care about it. It was just all I cared about was drinking to get that feeling, to carry on that feeling, and and it was just fucking horrible. She didn't leave me altogether. She came back. I don't know why, but I went through. It was now a cycle of stopping sobriety for a couple of months or not even a couple of months, a couple of weeks, and then I start again. And it was very confusing for her because I'd tell her, that I've got a problem. But then I'd be like, after a week or so, I'd be like, for fuck's sake, why did you tell her that? Because now you feel great, and now you want to drink again. And that's how it went. I went to AA a couple of times. I did six months before with AA. Then I decided that I didn't need it, and I could moderate again. (laughs) Yeah, like that's ever worked before. But... Yeah, I decided I wasn't going to do that. It wasn't for me. And I went to a wedding, and that's when it all started again. It was just a vicious cycle. But the only thing, like I was saying before, the only thing that would stop me from drinking for a couple of weeks was my health because I'd think that I'm going to, I've done damage to my liver or I'm going to die. And that's what would scare me. But once I felt better again, I'd forgot about all that and just wanted to drink again. So this has been going on now for, well, all the time I've been with Joe, nine years, 10 years. He several times, I've tried the books, I've tried all different challenges, all different groups. I've even, with Sober Town. I was in the group. I've been in the group quite a few times over the years. But then I've kind of, Started drinking again and then felt bad and shame and left. And it's just, it's just a constant, just a nightmare of up and down all the time of not knowing, not knowing who, what, not knowing where you're going with it. And there was even a point where I was, I was at a point where I was going to just accept it. And this is before where I am now. I just thought, I've done this so many times. I just can't be fucking bothered with it now. And if I lose everything, I lose everything. I'm not bothered. If it kills me, it kills me. I'm not bothered. I am who I am. I'm drinking. I like to drink. I'm going to drink. And that's just who I am. And then me and my partner went to a wedding about... 74 days ago (laughs) that was my last drink and I'd been drinking we went to the wedding on the Saturday but I'd been drinking since the Wednesday and it was like pre-wedding drinks three days of it
0: (laughs) pre-game for three days sounds about right
1: yeah Mm -hmm. and it was just like why are you doing this and then we went to the wedding and got to the wedding about 12 o'clock I was drinking all day. I had my car with me and we were supposed to get a taxi back. It was about 10 o'clock at night. I'd been drinking all day. And I just drove back to the digs, drove back to the hotel with me and my partner. And the next day, it really hit me of like, what could have happened that night? I could have killed someone. I could have killed us. I could, I could have left Aubrey without any parents. And my son, and it was just, and the, and the Sunday, the Sunday was really bad. I just, I was so ill, and I was just laid in bed all day. And I can, and I just thought, this, this is it. This, this is, this has got to stop. Even though I'd felt felt it so, I've said it so many times before, but this time something different? Something switched in me, and that switch was that I wanted to do it, not someone else was asking me to do it. And that's the bottom line: is that there's no, I had no chance before, because deep down I didn't want to stop. Back in my mind, I still wanted to drink. I was doing it for other reasons. I was doing it so I didn't lose my family, or. I was doing it because Joe was asking me Wanted I could see that she was upset. So I was thinking, fucking hell, I best go on sobriety. I best try and stop for a bit. Do you know what I mean? To make till she's happy again. And then I start again, just building, just, just building foundations and, and, and then just pulling them back down over us. So this time it's, <clears throat> yeah, this, this time it's me that's doing it. And that's where I am today. I'm at, 74 days today or maybe 75 I don't know but what's also what's helped me a lot this time is fitness fitness has always been a good thing I've found that me running running when I go running as well it's, it's it's good for for my mental health which is another thing I was depressed my anxiety was through the roof when I was drinking I had to start taking antidepressants and anxiety tablets. I was just in dark places. It was just even a few years back, it was that bad as well that I even thought about killing myself because I just didn't know where I was going in life. And I remember driving after an argument with me and Joe about me drinking. And I just remember driving to, to some woods and just sat there thinking I'm going to I'm going to swing So I'm going to be swinging from that tree. And it was only the only thing that stopped me was my son rang me. Joe got Corey to ring me and told me that he was scared and wanted me to come home. And that's the only thing that stopped me. And I'm so glad that he did. Because where I am now, I'm a lot stronger. I'm a lot, all that's gone. Not, not all of it, but I've still got issues that I'm working on. But it's, I'm making progress and I'm pushing through and I'm not choosing to live my life of addiction anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm happily living day by day without it. And it is fucking great. Everyone has bad days. We all have bad days. And it's just learning to get through on sober and with your real feelings and getting to know who you really are, start loving yourself. Because you just has not had the chance to do it. I haven't had the chance to do it because I've just been a different person. And yeah, I never thought I could get to this point where I'm not actually bothered about drinking or craving it all the time, or I've lost something because that was the main reason. One of the other main reasons is every time I've stopped before, it's like I've lost someone. I was actually grieving every day that. I can't do this anymore. I can't drink anymore. And yeah, now it's, I don't fucking want it. I want my life. My life's better. Relationship's better. I do more with my kids, my jobs. Uh, I've managed to get a new job. And yeah, I can't, I just, I just can't believe I've got this far. Feeling how I'm feeling. I've been this far before, but I've never felt like this. I've never, never been this, this confident in, in my sobriety. Yeah,
0: I'll tell you what, Kieran, it it shows. I can definitely see it in your interactions on the sober town Facebook page. You're you're sharing your physical activity journey. You're speaking regularly about what's on your mind what you're struggling with what your difficulties are what your celebrations are you're helping to encourage others and all of those are massive points i think towards living a sober life it's it's very much about like you've said learning who we are learning how to navigate our feelings without uh, numbing them and and just keeping it keeping it in the now is probably one of the, the most important things to me. I'm I'm a big future tripper. I'm a big drink my stress away kind of person. Yeah. And as long as I'm I'm staying in today, my stress usually isn't as, as high as I can make it. So so what would you say if you had to choose what has been the most beneficial principle to you on your recovery journey? Probably what do you mean like what helps you the most? Is there something oh, do you have a mantra? What motivates you the most to, to stay on the recovery path?
1: Having a goal, I think, has been a massive help to me. Fitness, again, uh, I know where I want to be, I know what I'm doing. Next year, I'm doing an ultra marathon. So, me keeping fit and having that goal is keeping my mindset in the right place. And I'm going to achieve something for being sober for being for sobriety it's kind of gave me a point where I want to be when I get to that point and I do this marathon it'll just show that this is what I've achieved and which I never thought I could achieve and that it's all all been worth it and then after I've done that There'll be another challenge <laughs> but no it's it's just things like seeing how happy as well that my, my 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 partner is with 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 me being sober and i'm doing more with my little girl and my family's we we're, we're, we're better we're better without the old me the new me's better and it's just, there's just a lot more benefits from it. And I'm going to live longer.
0: No kidding. That's the
1: bottom line. I want to <laughs> see my my kids grow up. I want to see my little girl grow up and see what she, see see her achieve. And I need to be around to do that and make sure she's, and protect her and look after her and make sure she's safe. So yeah, that's, that's one of the most important things to me
0: beautiful. Do you have any final thoughts or words of wisdom or anything you'd like to share with our listeners?
1: Yeah, so I know at some when you're struggling with addiction, you I know a lot of times I used to think to myself that I'm different and I can't I can't be helped. So there's no point trying. But all I can say is just to, to my to the listeners and anyone that's struggling with it is just to never give up because you've just got to you've just got to break that cycle once, that one time. And I've been going round and round and round on on this same cycle for for years and years and years, 10 years, and never gave up. I relapsed so many times. Like a serial relapse, like I was in a cycle at one point where I couldn't get past a week even days it but you know you just got to keep push 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 on find different ways find different approaches try things it might not be the first it might not work the first time you've got to try different things and certain things work for certain people not everyone's the same not everyone can can battle addiction the same you just got to find that one thing that that changes your mindset because that's what you've got to do. It's all to change your mindset and realize that alcohol is not helping you. You see, it, it it's not helping you to be a better person or a different person. It's actually making you worse. And you've just got to rebuild yourself and get to know yourself again, but you can, you, you can do it and just, It's worth it. It's hard work. It is hard work, but you've kind of got to plan your sobriety, plan plan your life, plan your sobriety. But but how much you might think it's hard, but it's like when you're drinking, you're planning your drinking all the time. You plan your day out for drinking, and if you can do that, and just switch it and plan your sobriety instead, because that's a lot healthier. And, and just, yeah, just keep going and never give up.
0: Perfect. Great points. and I enjoyed getting to chat with you so very much. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you for sharing your story with the Sober Town listeners. I think a lot of people are going to get a lot of help from this. Um, I hope so, yeah. Yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure. I'll see you around Sober Town Facebook, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, definitely. Thanks, Thank you Kieran. very much.
0: My pleasure. Bye. Bye.